All right. Uh, I'd like to welcome uh, Dave and Ashley Willis up to uh, the pulpit, the altar area to minister the word of the Lord. They've been great. I think you guys are a natural fit for Cornerstone Church. So they can be official Cornerstone family members. How about that, church? You guys agree with that? And uh, just a couple questions. Uh, Your favorite college football team is? Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) Police officer Jeff, (laughs) escort him out. (laughs) Georgia. Anyway, you should have said the Ohio State Buckeyes. (laughs) Okay. That's right. That's right. Just just settle down. Anyway, let's give them a warm cornerstone welcome. Can we do it? God bless you. Come on up. Oh, thank you guys. You guys are great. Thanks, Pastor Tim. Oh wow. Wow. You guys sit down. How fun. This you guys are so fun. We've we had so such a great fun. time. We have. I mean, we don't want to leave. Like we don't. We don't want to leave. We're just gonna leave. like fly the kids here and just. Yeah, you might see yes. us. You might That's see us on Sunday. Yes. Who knows? <laughs> Speaking to the kids, if you weren't here this morning, we do have a picture of the children. Yes. Do we have that picture? The family picture. Well, just a, there, there we go. Is. There we go. So there they are. A lot of testosterone, guys. So pray for this sweet, sweet woman. And you know, we've learned that like we're different parents to each kid. You other parents with multiple kids, you have, have this thing where it's, you know, none of the kids get the same parent. And you come into marriage, and I think sometimes you don't realize how messed up you are. Your spouse knows how messed up you are, but you don't. Until you've been married for a while, you start figuring it out. But here's what we've learned. The reason you were messed up when you got married, it isn't really your fault. It's your parents' fault. Right? Here, here's, here's our theory. Raise your hand like, if you're like us, you're the firstborn in your family. Firstborns. Look yes, at all these confident firstborn first people. Yes. They were like, woohoo, yes. Yeah, ready. You know, we're world, world leaders, CEOs firstborn. But messed up. Messed up, all right? We're just, we're arrogant and we're, we're bitter and we're messed up. And here's why it's not your fault, it's your parents' fault. When you were born, your parents had no idea what they were doing. No. Not a clue. And so they were just experimenting on you. And then you start having younger siblings, and then your parents freak out and they think, we've got to make an example out of the first one. We've got to give them more chores and more spankings and more punishments, and we've got to be harder on them. How many of you firstborns had it way harder than your younger siblings? Of course you did. And it made you tough, and it made you awesome, but it also messed you up. All right? And it's, right. again, it's not, it's not all your fault. It's, it's your parents' fault. And it's blame a, the parents, Yeah, we'll guys. blame the parents. You know. All right. What about you babies in the room? You know you were chomping at the bit. Raise your hands high. Yay! All right? You all bring the fun, and we all know it, right? I love attention. You're like, look at I'm me. I'm the baby. Yes. Now, babies, you guys are awesome, but I hate to break it to you. You're even more messed up than the first ones, okay? I'm so sorry, but it's not your fault, okay? By the time you came along, here's what happened. By the time you came along, your parents were just utterly exhausted, okay? And so, like, you you got away with more. You didn't probably have much of a bedtime. You're eating pizza any time of day. It's like, you know, you're fine. Just figure it out, you know? 
there's just a lot of things that we just get a lot more freedom as, as babies. But then also as the baby of the family, the parents kind of turn into different parents in the sense of holding on to your childhood a little bit more because you're the last one in the house. So you were like breastfed way longer, you yeah. know, like your parents rocked you to sleep till you were 13. I mean, yeah. there's just weird, weird stuff, Weird right? stuff with the babies. Yeah. Because the parents, they feel so guilty for how hard they were on the first one. True. And so then they just, they overcompensate by letting the baby get away with everything. I mean, we're guilty of this. Like our, our oldest had all these rules. Our seven-year-old, he's on a trip with friends in Vegas right now. We're just like, we're just like, it sounds like a good idea. It's fine. Just be safe. No, not really. He, he, but he does tend to get away with more. And it's just because I'm old and we're tired and it, like we're trying to be consistent. But then that leaves middle children. You any middle children? Middle children. <laughs> Yes. Do you know why they're excited? Because no one has ever called on them before. Like this is the first time they've been publicly acknowledged. And we just want to publicly acknowledge you amazing middle children. You guys are amazing. All, all over the place. You're the peacemakers. Yes. And I just, I just want to apologize for all parents everywhere that, that your baby book or website or whatever they're doing today was never completed. Okay? They like, meant well. You may have a lock of hair in there. The they, rest is not filled out. Okay? Right. Yeah. The firstborn, there's like a, yeah. a, vo- a big multi-volume set of the first lock of hair. Second, you know, it's like... All the milestones. Right. And, and the middle one, bless their heart, it's like... We, and we promised we're not going to be that way. Like we're not going to, we're not missing anything with the middle, any of our middle, so we got two middle kids, but yeah, then, two. but then one time I left one of them at a gas station on a road trip for a while. So Here's I, listen, yeah. don't be too judgy. <laughs> Joseph and Mary lost Jesus for three days, three days, Joseph and Jesus's earthly parents, like picked by God, your whole job. Keep him alive, raise him, and they. Lo- it was a day before they knew he was gone, a day, right? And then they were like, "Where's Jesus?" I mean, you lose the state. Can you imagine that conversation they're having, like looking yeah. for him, like, like we're we lost you. I didn't know it was theologically possible. We lost Jesus. <laughs> we're going to hell if we do not find him. We are this. This is important. So they lost him. It's a, it's in the Bible. I don't make this stuff up. You can read the story. Then they find him, and they're not sure if they're allowed to be mad at him because he's Jesus. It's a great story. Because it's just the humanity of these it parents. Is. But so we had a moment like that. And here's, here was our story. Uh, so road trip, gas station. We have to drive a lot with our family. So we stopped at one gas station. And the, the bathroom situation wasn't what we needed. It was a one-seater. And the one-seater had a line. You know, you've been in one of those gas stations where it's backed up. And I take one look at it. And I'm like, No. One benefit of boy family, we don't even need bathroom. We'll just find some trees. We're good, you know? So I'm like, all right, this isn't going to happen. So plan B, hop back in the car, and we start driving down the road looking for, you know, someplace to stop. And all of a sudden, in the very back, our oldest son, Cooper, who's at the time like 14 14 or so, he's like, "Uh, hey, dad. Like, yeah? And he's like, where's Connor? And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, Connor, I, I don't think he's here. And, and sure enough, I look back. We're frantic. Ah, and I do this U-turn. I peel back to that gas station. So the whole way I'm like, this is why we get invited to marriage conferences, but not parenting conferences. This is the reason. And I get back to the gas station and I go in and and I, Connor has worked his way up to that line all the way to now he's in. He's the one in. And I'm beating on the door. Connor, are you in there? 
It's like, hey, Dad. I'm like, hey, buddy. Just worried about you. You were kind of taking a while. And, you know, I, I really love you. You know, that, like we're having this moment, all these people in line. I'm like, you know, I told your brothers we couldn't have a snack. I'll tell you what, why don't, whatever snack you want when you get out. So we get back to the car and I'm like, listen, let's not tell Connor that we left him. Like there's a difference between deception and discretion. Like, let's just be discreet here. He doesn't need to know that we left him. And, and so like, we'd all agreed on that. And so as soon as he got in the car, Chandler, who was like seven at the time, he looked up from his video game and he's like, hey, they left you and didn't even know it. And then he just went back to his game. So oh, Connor's got something to talk to his therapist about someday. But you know, again, I felt better knowing that G- Joseph and Mary did the same thing. Yes. And we were there in much less than three days. It was five minutes. But yeah, five minutes. Tops. Yes. But we have, we have temporarily left, left a middle child. And you know what, Connor, if you're watching, we love you. You're awesome. Yes. All of them are awesome. We didn't even talk about only children. Like, you probably raised your hands for all of them. And so, yeah, you have all right. that stuff, only children. <laughs> right, yeah. I and mean, we all bring all that into, into marriage for those of us who are married. And if you're not married yet, just be ready because you're going to have some baggage to bring in. And really, our, it's a, just a funny way to start out. Our baggage really has nothing to do with our birth order. But no family's perfect. And all of us came from a family that is as loving as they might have been. It was an imperfect family. And there was brokenness there. And you add the brokenness of the people in our families to our own brokenness and our own poor decisions and our own expectations and all those things. And we bring it into marriage. And your spouse has their same stuff. And you're trying to figure all that out together. And it can just, it, it can be a lot and so it, marriage takes work. The best marriages, it's not built on some like magical formula of compatibility. It's built on commitment and just content. That's what love is. Biblical love isn't some like gushy feeling. It's a commitment. And then feelings usually follow that commitment. So we've got to be committed. And so in the, in the work that we do, the reason why like we call our podcast The Naked Marriage, and I think we've got a picture of that too, like we had this morning, The Naked Marriage Podcast. We call it that, one, just because naked's a fun word and it helps people remember. But two, it's because the very first picture that God gave us of marriage says they were naked and unashamed. And that nakedness wasn't just a picture of their physical nakedness, but it was a picture of emotional, spiritual nakedness. Genesis 2.25 says it this way. Now the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And that's, that's God's desire for us too, that we can be naked, not only physically, but nakedness represents saying, I got no secrets. There's nothing that I'm hiding from you. You see me scars and all, warts and all. You, you see all of me and I see all of you and we accept each other as we are. We love each other as we are. And we're not gonna hide anything from one another. We're gonna live with this kind of vulnerability we're going to live with this kind of trust and transparency. And that, that is what God desires for every single marriage. That's what it was before sin entered the picture and, and, and wrecked it all. But that's still God's desire for us, even post-sin, that we get back to that place of, of that beautiful intimacy that he created marriage to have. It's so true, but I think we just live in a world that is skeptical, we just live in a skeptical world. I mean, you see it on social media, you see it on TV, all the shows that are popular are usually like true crime shows where it's like a husband and wife where they couldn't trust each other and something terrible happened. And so I think it's just kind of in the very fabric of our society right now, it's this, this undercurrent of, of believing that you really can't trust anyone. It's like, even your spouse, do you ever really fully know them? And I, I do think this is even permeated into the church. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine a while back, uh, she used to do my hair and we were just 
chit-chatting and she had been going through like a really hard time in her marriage. And she said that, and I asked her, I was like, well, what was the turning point? Like what, what made you finally like get the help that you need and, and really dig in and say, we're going to fight for this marriage. And she said, well, she said, I just realized that we were living two separate lives and we weren't friends. And she said, and here's where I think it started. You see, her mother had been married for a while to her father, obviously. And I don't know if something happened um, with, with their relationship, if there was somebody being unfaithful or lies or the communication breaking down, but eventually the couple divorced. And then ever since then, obviously her mother was hurt. And because her mother was hurt, and, and this is what hurt people do, sometimes without even realizing it, we kind of, we just start talking about these things even to our children. And we even pass on that hurt. And one of the things that her mother started believing is you really can never trust a man, okay? And so through my friend's four years, she would constantly hear from her mother, you know, you can love a man, you can even get married, but you can never fully trust a man and you need to always have a backup plan. So fast forward, my friend meets the love of her life, Billy, and she is just head over heels and right before the wedding, kind of in the planning, her mother said, Hey, I want you to get a separate bank account and never tell him about it because I know you love this man. I know you think you can trust him, but you never really can fully trust anybody. And I want you to have a backup plan. And she said she did just that because she loves her mom and and took her advice. And she wasn't considering the fact of how hurt her mother was. And so she went into that marriage, you guys, with one foot in the door and one foot a little bit out the door. And so when things got hard, what do you think my friend did? She like checked that account. You know, she kept on putting money in it. And she's like, well, I have an exit strategy. And she said, because of that, she never fully engaged with her husband because she never fully thought that she could trust him. And when you think you can't fully trust someone, and and let me just be real clear about this. Trust does have to be earned. Okay. Trust isn't just given, right? It is earned through consistent actions. And her husband had done consistent actions since she had known him and been married to him to show he's trustworthy. But because she never fully would trust him, she never fully was vulnerable with him. And so what this couple experienced is this breakdown in communication where they were not living the naked marriage. There was always this little bit of wall between them. And she said it wasn't until things got really bad and they were fighting a lot. And it was just like this wall they could not break down that she realized as far as, as, as her part in the breakdown of, of the communication in the marriage that she wasn't engaging. And I think that my friend's story is very common. I mean, there might even be some of you in this room where that's your story. And I'm not saying this to shame you because I think we just live in a broken world where we misunderstand things. And there's things from our parents that are passed on to us that we don't even know. And our parents didn't mean it to harm us, this mother was trying to protect her daughter. But what she didn't realize is she was literally preventing her daughter from having the naked marriage that God wants us to have. Because in marriage, we got to be all in. In marriage, we got to be naked in every way, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. And that's when you see that beautiful connection that God creates through marriage. It's so beautiful. It's something that God wants us to experience. And it's something that Adam and Eve had in the garden. But, but when the breakdown happened, you guys know the story, many of you, that serpent came in and basically said, but can you really trust God? And once they stopped trusting God, they stopped trusting each other, started listening to the wrong messages. And you guys, we don't even have, you know, we don't have serpents coming and talking to us today, but what it looks like for us today are friends and family who mean well, but who are putting those negative messages in our minds and saying, you know what? You probably can't fully trust them. You shouldn't totally give yourself over to this person. And then what we see is we're just not, we're not able to have that kind of friendship and that vulnerable, beautiful relationship that God wants us to have. And we, we need to fight for that kind of intimacy. And so in, in our, our last talk tonight, we really want to talk about 
how to develop and cultivate that trust and specifically that friendship that's really at the heart of every marriage. Because in the work we've done and the, the mentor couples we've had through the years, those couples who've, who've made it work through thick and thin, good times and bad, one thing they all have in common is their friendship. They're best friends with each other. And I, I believe that's an important aspect of what God calls us to. And if you're not married yet, then the friendship principles we're going to talk about tonight can help you be a better friend to the, the friends in your life. And it can help you when you find that person that God has for you to marry someday to know sort of what to look for, those friendship principles where, where really love begins and where love continues to grow. Song of Solomon, the book of love in the Bible says it this way, this is my lover and my friend. It's both, yeah. my lover and my friend. And that's what a spouse needs to be. It's both. And if either one of those is missing, then the marriage is, is incomplete. If you're friends, but not lovers, then then you're going to just start living like roommates. But if you're lovers and not friends, then you're missing out on connection, connecting on, on, a, on a much deeper level than just the physical. You, you really need both. And he, here's why. Here's the principle. At the heart of every strong marriage is a strong friendship. The best marriages are between best friends. And so we're going to talk about three principles, biblical principles of friendship and what that looks like in marriage. And number one is this, friends carry each other's burdens. That's something that, that friends are called to do. I love this verse from Galatians, especially when we apply it to, to our marriage relationship. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Your spouse should never have to carry a burden without your support, without your encouragement. Because like Ashley said earlier today, it's never his problem or her, her problem. It's always our struggle. It's our joy, our celebration. It's our struggle too. Like we share everything. That's the way that it needs to be. And so we have to be, do this, be there for your spouse in the moments that are most important for them, not just the moments that are most convenient for you. Because Friends, lovers, spouses, we, we've got to show up. We have to be present. We show our love through our presence. We show our love by being there when it matters and saying, I'm going to be there with you and for you. And there have been so many times that, that Ashley's done that for me through the years. We talked some this morning about um, her doing that in, in some health challenges. She touched on, on some struggles that she had and, and how we've sort of taken turns through the years. Both of us lean, trying to lean on God first and foremost, but then lean on each other in those, those tough times. But we found that when we lean on God and lean on each other, no matter what we're facing— he carries us through it. And then we've seen other couples who've faced bigger challenges than we've ever faced. I mean, un, un, unbelievable tragedies and the, the loss of a child and just unimaginable pain. But when they leaned on God and leaned on each other, the Lord carried them through even their darkest valley. Absolutely. And, you know, every marriage is going to have struggles. I think sometimes, especially in that newlywed state, you know, you're so in love and you're starting this new life together. And by the way, I love it that we have newlyweds here. And I, let's give a hand to the newlyweds, by the way. Like you guys, newlyweds. y'all are ahead of the game. You know, you have such wisdom in being here, just being here and learning and, um, and doing it, you know, right out of the gate. I love that. But I, you know, I think sometimes in, in kind of the afterglow of getting married and having the wedding and all that, we forget that, oh my goodness, we're imperfect people coming from different backgrounds. And there's some things that we're just not going to agree on. Like we're not going to see everything the same. And we start to get a little disillusioned when that happens because we're like, wait a minute, 
you aren't perfect. And like, there's stuff that irritates me about you. And like, what do we do with this? And, and I think it starts to feel like, oh my goodness, you know, cause again, we live in a world that really doesn't, doesn't really celebrate the longevity of marriage as much as we should. And I think they're like, well, when it gets hard, just leave, just go, go on, do your thing. And the truth is when you go through those struggles and you will have struggles, okay. It's not if it's when, when you go through those struggles, I'm telling you, God does something amazing through the struggle. You know, we don't like going through it. I didn't like going through four years of anxiety and depression. I didn't like what it, what I, kind of some of the things I said during that season to Dave, not only to Dave, but to my children, kind of the person I was. But through it, God taught me that I can be strong in him. God also showed me the depth of the love that Dave has for me and how I'm stronger when he's in my corner. And I'm so grateful that he's in my corner. And it's like all the struggles we've gone through throughout the years, and we've had many, and we've been married 21 years. I feel like when, when we go through them, we choose to face them together, you know, laying them at the Lord's feet It's amazing how he tethers your hearts together even closer than you thought they could be. And again, it's not like you want to repeat the struggles, but I'm telling you, I don't wish them away because I feel like that's when we really grew. That's when we really saw God at work uh, more clearly than ever. It's so true. And and you don't, you don't get to pick your struggles a lot of the times, but you do get to pick what kind of story it's going to become later. So struggles will come in all different shapes and sizes. And you usually don't get to pick them, but you get to decide, is this going to be a story about what wrecked us, what ruined us, what made us bitter, what drove us apart? Or is this going to be part of our testimony? Is this going to be part of a story of how God drew us closer together and how we trusted him and leaned on him like never before? And you got to decide what kind of story you want the struggle to become. And then you got to face the struggle that way. And sometimes the struggle might be something that that was in your control. Like it, it was created through your own sin. We've had those struggles too. Early in our marriage, like I carried in a sinful behavior from my, my teenage years. And that was that, that I was exposed to pornography as a teenager. And it started to warp my thinking and warp my brain about the way that, the way that sex should be. And I kind of kept it secret that I had this struggle. And this was like in the olden days, right? You know, where yeah, there weren't smartphones and all that. But, you know, whenever I could get access to some like clunky computer, you know, I, I would look or my, my friend's dad's magazine stash and I would look at these images and it was doing something toxic to rewire my thinking. And I didn't deal with the sin the way that God says to deal with sin, which is to confess it, to get accountability, um, to, to bring it out into the open. I dealt with it the way that pride, the way that the enemy tries to get you to deal with sin, because then it keeps you in sin and that's to deal with it in secret. And so I dealt with it in secret and I, I didn't tell Ashley when we were dating, this had been a struggle. I, uh, thought I don't want her to look at me that way. And so we entered into marriage and I had not been completely honest. I hadn't shared with her that there, this had been a struggle for me. I just thought, you know what? I'm just not going to do it. And once we're married, I won't even be tempted and it, it'll be fine. And it'll be like, it never happened. But about a year into our marriage, just out of nowhere, that temptation came back and I was just unprepared for it. And I fell back into that same dark pit of sin, now feeling all this shame and guilt because I knew what Jesus had said, that to look with lust at someone is to really commit adultery in your heart. And what happens in your mind matters. And that's, that's where all sin, that's even where all sexual sin begins. And we live, we live in a world that has downplayed that. We live in a world and a culture that has just said, no, it's just entertainment. You can do whatever you want to do and it's harmless and it's nobody's business. But in the work that we do and in my own personal experience and what scripture says, I could talk for days and days about the damages 
of pornography. I've, I've been accountability partners with guys who are in that fight right now and, and, and trying to save their marriages in the midst of it. I've, I've, I've seen, you know, what it, what it does personally in my, my own mind in those early years when I was struggling with it. And in the work we do, we get messages literally every single day from somebody who is struggling or whose spouse is struggling and what it's doing to cause harm. And so the neuroscience behind it says that what pornography usage does to a brain mimics what a heroin addiction does to a brain. And you can look at brain scans and it's wild to see the pathways that are carved when we kind of return to that. Um, in terms of spiritually, the Bible is so clear that to, to look with lust, to objectify someone else, to have any kind of like sexual fantasy that you're feeding outside of marriage is destructive to you, to your spouse, to your marriage, to your own heart, to other people. It dehumanizes all those who are involved. It really, really is damaging. And so we talk about this topic every chance we get, not because it's comfortable. It's not, I just feel like God has called us to the awkward stuff, yes. right? God just made me awkward and he goes, here, go deal with awkward stuff and the world needs it. Um, And the reason we talk about it in churches is because it's a big problem in churches. It's the statistics aren't that much different in the church and out of the church about who's struggling with pornography. And so if that's a struggle for you right now, like let, let us encourage you and challenge you to say, First off, agree with God that it is a sin. Don't believe the world's lies that it's not. Agree with God that it's a sin and then turn from it. The Bible's word for that is repent, which means to say, I I don't want to live that way anymore. And to turn from it, to repent, I need to confess it. I need to bring it out into the open. I need to confess it to God who already knows it, but just by agreeing with him that it's wrong and confessing it, you're starting the healing process. And then confess it to somebody. If you're married, it's going to be painful, but you need to tell your spouse. If, you know, you're not married, you need to find a, a trusted same gender accountability partner that you can share these things with, but you've got to be willing to talk about these things and then get, there's, there's accountability software. There's a lot of other stuff. I don't want this to all just turn into a, a porn talk, but I, I don't want to rush through this either because this is the issue that holds so many people back. Like this is the thing that is holding them back from all that God has for their lives, whether you're single or you're married. If, if you're in that sin right now, um, Satan is using that to hold you down and you don't have to live that way. You don't have to live in fear or in shame, but you got to break the cycle of what you're doing. And when we get in a cycle of sin, it really, it, it, it hurts us. The, the book of Proverbs describes it in this really kind of graphic, dis, almost disgusting way of what it's like to keep returning to sin. And it, it says it this way. It says, this isn't in the notes. This is just a verse you can look up. It says, as a dog returns to its vomit... So a, a fool will repeat, repeat his folly. So in other words, just like a dog will, will eat its own puke, which is gross, that's what we're doing when we're returning to a sin. We're returning to something that's gross, and it, it's just not good for us. And, and I, the God gave us that graphic language in the Bible, because I don't know if you've ever seen a dog do this. We have a dog. She does this, and it is gross. So and she'll... Gross. She'll like start going and like working something up. And I'm like, don't do it. I'm going to, I'm going to puke if you puke. And then she'll do it. And then she'll walk away from it. But then it's like, there's this little thought that you could see come into her head. Like, you know, wait, I could eat that. (laughs) And she goes back and I'm like, don't, don't, I can't. And she'll just look at me and just start. And it's like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to puke. This is the grossest thing. And I mean, it's the grossest thing. And it's gross. And that's, it's why it's in the Bible is to help us remember like, don't do gross stuff. Like don't, 
don't do gross stuff, the Bible's saying. Because, yeah, that, that's gross. It doesn't really, you know, hurt the dog's soul or whatever. Somebody once asked, like, or, do you think there are going to be dogs in heaven? I'm like, probably. But one thing I know almost for sure is that there will be cats in hell. I just feel like, <laughs> like, I mean, maybe you're a cat person. I, I, but you can picture it, can't you? You can picture heaven and, like, golden retrievers running around. And you picture, like, getting to hell and there's just a cat going... <laughs> No. Like, we love cats maybe too. Maybe cats are great too. Don't send me angry yes. emails. They're wonderful. But it has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Cats do gross stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, where was I? We're just off the rails. Dog Did I tell you about my ADD? Have yeah. we talked about that? <laughs> so don't return to the vomit. If, if, if you are dealing with this issue of, of pornography though, like get real about it, get help. I'm so thankful and there were years and years past this. And so it is easier to talk about now. But um, for a, a long season early in our marriage, like this was, this was messy, guys. This was a messy road that we walked. I didn't have the courage to confess it. Um, she had to like find it on this, this old clunky computer that we kept in the basement. And, and then when she confronted me with it, it all started to come out and I, I confessed and repented and apologized, but, but I wasn't really healed and I didn't take the steps to heal. So I let my shame keep me away from it for a while. But then when the shame part just kind of wears off, I was just like that dog in the vomit again. And I actually relapsed and it was a messy journey of us bringing that out into the open, walking that road to healing her extending grace, but at the same time also rightly extending the, the need to have boundaries in this area because that's something that, no, that there's no place in our marriage for it. I lived with the, the shame and guilt of knowing I had wounded her through my own sin, and we walked through that together. And walking through a struggle that neither of you caused is one thing, but it, it takes an extra measure of grace to walk through a struggle that's the direct result of one of your own sins. And in every marriage, there are going to be moments like that. It might not be pornography, but it's going to be other things. But I'm so thankful for the, the grace and wisdom that this incredible woman showed as we walked through that. And because of how she, she's the hero of the story, like because of how she really responded, um, it's not only the reason that we're still married today, but it's certainly, certainly we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing now with marriage ministry uh, had she responded in a different way. And so she's really the hero of that story. We say all that to say, guys, if this is your issue, you're not alone, but you can't put your head in the sand. You can't pretend like it's not hurting you or that it doesn't matter. You've got to get real. You've got to get honest. You've got to bring it out into the open and do the painful, messy work of dealing with it and letting God deal with it. And you're going to be so much healthier on the other side. 100%. And I just want to say, you know, it takes courage to confess your sin. God already knows it, but he wants us to come to him. But then as married people, we have to take that next step and go to our spouse with it, especially when it's against them, you know, and, and, and it's awkward. Like these conversations are not fun. Okay. You have to be prepared for awkwardness, for tears, for more questions. And like, if you're the one who sinned and you confess it to your spouse, you have to be willing to answer their questions because what you have to do is, you know, God designed forgiveness to be something that is given. He first forgave us. So we then forgive. Right. So I knew when I found that porn, I addressed it with Dave and he immediately confessed it to me. I knew that I needed to forgive him quickly, but I knew that I needed to also trust him slowly because trust is totally different from forgiveness. Trust is only earned and it's earned through consistent actions through Dave showing me that he is trustworthy, that he's doing the work. And, you know, through that time, it was awkward and it was a process. And, you know, guys, as human beings, we just always want a quick fix. 
But especially in issues of sin and anything we're dealing with, I mean, it takes time. It took time for him to develop a habit of pornography or even I would say an addiction to pornography. So it's going to take time for him to detox. I mean, it's literally like any addiction. He had to detox and he had to figure out, you know, when, when those triggers would come and he would naturally maybe go to pornography. He had to find something else, you know, whether it's pray or talk to me about it. You know, I know a lot of couples who've gone through this when they feel like when, when the spouse who is um, addicted to porn feels that coming on, they go to their spouse, they talk about it, or they have an accountability partner that they talk to and they say, here's where my mind is. You know, I just, I just, I want to talk to somebody about it. And there's so much, there's so much courage and strength in that. And I'm so grateful that Dave did the hard work and he's been free from it for a very, very long time. And, um, it is awkward to talk about. I have a lot of women, you guys, so many, like every time I do this, every single time, multiple couples come up and say, this is our story. Can you pray with us? Can you give us resources? And every time I have the wife, especially if it's the husband who did it, and it's not just a male issue. I just want to make that clear. Statistics show that it's increasingly also a female issue. And a lot of it is because in a lot of these magazines, online things, they're really pushing that on our young women. And they're saying, you know, just to go after pornography, that it's kind of empowering. And what they don't realize is that the people who, who do these films, I mean, you're literally, it's like sex trafficking. You're supporting sex trafficking. It's hurting people on all fronts. And it's not good. It's definitely not of God. And we want to be free from it. And, um, and so, you know, I have a lot of women come up to me if their husband has confessed to a, a porn addiction. And they say, how are you ever intimate with him again? And how did you ever forgive him? You know, it's just so awful and it's such a a breach of trust and it it also can make you feel really ugly because you're like well if my husband felt like he needed to go to pornography am I not beautiful am I not satisfying does he not desire me anymore and I had all those thoughts I mean that's I'm a human being of course I had those thoughts and I just want to say it's never anyone's fault that their spouse goes to pornography it's an issue of sin and I would say also that when it comes to forgiving them because a lot of women say well I just don't know if I could ever look at him the same. Like I'm so disgusted. I don't know if I could ever forgive him. I always say, well, when I was going through that and I had my little pity parties, I mean, I'm a human being. I had pity parties, but every time I would start to feel sorry for myself and think I'm just going to hold this. It's going to be like my little ammo when things get hard, hold it over Dave's head, you know, because again, we're frail human beings. The Holy Spirit would convict me every time and be like, Ashley, how many times have I forgiven you? How many times? How many times do you need my forgiveness? And you guys, every single day, I'm a broken, frail human being. I need Jesus every single day. I am not a perfect person. Any of us can fall to temptation. And and it was just, it was a really good reminder to myself that we've got to, you know, we've really got to be strong. We got to keep on not, not, um, going on autopilot, not thinking that we're beyond temptation because it's all there. I mean, not just with pornography, but so many other things. And so it really, in that season convicted me that I needed, I needed to forgive Dave quickly and then give him the chance to re-earn my trust. And he took those steps and I believe that God made us stronger for it. He certainly did. And it took a lot of honesty. Yeah. Thank you. You can clap, clap for God because He's the forgiver and he's the healer. And no matter what you've done or where you've been or how low you've gotten, God's grace is bigger. And so I'm so thankful for that. Uh, The the second aspect of what friends do, and and we've kind of touched on this, is friends always tell each other the truth. You have to be Mm -hmm. honest. You have to be honest. In Proverbs, I I love the book of Proverbs, by the way. So there's always a lot of Proverbs because it just has so much wisdom in it. I got challenged when I was really young. 
um, by a pastor, and it, it, this ended up being like a life-changing habit for me. He, he was preaching a sermon. I don't remember anything else from the sermon, but he said, there are 31 chapters in Proverbs, and you can read a chapter in Proverbs in just a few minutes. They're short. There are 31 days in, in most months. If you'll read one proverb a day, you'll read through the whole book every month in addition to whatever other Bible study you're doing, and those few minutes over and over and over again every day will put God's wisdom deep in your mind and deep in your heart, God's wisdom about faith and life and relationships and sin and money and work and, and really all parts of life are in that, that one little book of the Bible. So maybe that's for you. Maybe that's something that you, you should add. And, and uh, it, it certainly made a big difference for me. But here's one from the Proverbs that talks about honesty. An honest answer is a sign of true friendship. Another verse in Proverbs says, an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. It's as sweet as a kiss when you are sharing a deep truth with your spouse, it's as intimate as if you're making out. Like there's, a, there's an intimacy there when you're, when you're opening up your heart and mind to one another and sharing what's really going on. And here's a principle to remember the depth of your honesty with each other will determine the depth of your intimacy with each other. If you're holding back in any part of your life from your spouse, then you're creating a ceiling to how, how high your, your love can grow. You're, you're boxing it in through secrecy or through compartmentalizing and saying, well, I'm not going to share my spouse everything I'm doing over here with, with, with money. I'm going to hide these purchases from them or I'm going to hide this money from them or I'm not going to tell my spouse everything I'm doing in this part of my life. And it's, sometimes it's not even a sin thing. It's just, I just don't want to talk to my spouse about, about whatever this is. Yeah. But we've got to be willing to talk about everything. And like early in our marriage, we realized we've got to share even like our quirks, even the stuff that annoys us, we've got to be lovingly honest, right? Like, yes. like for instance, I used to, early in our marriage, I would always, because acts of service is my love language. And so like, I also try to serve because I'm like, well, I like that. So maybe she would like that. And I would, when there were like a, a meal place, I would prepare her plate of food when I prepared mine. Because I'm like, this is serving. I, this is cool. And I'd give it to her and I'd feel so proud. And she'd be like, thank you. And mm-hmm. she hated it. I had no idea until one day, like 10 years, into 10 our years, I think into our marriage, we're somewhere and I brought her this plate of food and she just like snapped and she was like, it's so sweet that you do that, but I hate it when you bring me my food. I've never liked it. I like to bake my own portions and you, you give me too much of stuff and not enough for the others. And I just want to get my own food. <laughs> She's like, but I feel guilty that I feel this way. Cause it's so sweet. And I'm like, yes. why didn't you just tell me? I don't like doing it. Like we've both been wasting our time. time. Like, yes. I don't like this. I just thought you liked it. And we just, and it, it came a out. a lot of little things like that. Like, cause it's not being truthful. It's not yeah. just the big, you know, deep, dark secrets. It's, it is sometimes your preference. And like Dave, I think at, at the beginning of our marriage thought I liked cuddling. And it was like, once we started having children and literally, you know, I'm Paul at all day long and it just like, honestly, I would just be hot. I don't know how many of you are cuddlers in here. Like, you know, you're a cuddler, raise them high. It's okay. You can admit it. God rarely puts, yes. God rarely puts two cuddlers in the same marriage. You're two cuddlers, though. That's awesome. Oh, my goodness. That's the secret. The unicorn. That's the, you guys, the (laughs) blessing is upon you. Well, most of us, it's one. It's one, one cuddler and one don't touch me person. In the same don't touch me. Right. Who's a non-cuddler? We can admit this. It's okay. Let's be proud non-cuddlers. I think, I think we feel like ashamed and I used to, but I'm like, you know, here's for you cuddlers in the room who want to be cuddling right now. You're like, hurry up, Ashley. I want to go home and cuddle. I know. I know this is how you feel. This is how he feels. He's ready. Right. He actually, let me just say, 
you are. I just want to. I know. I want to be on you. Like he just, puts what he calls the leg of love on just me. Just wrap this a leg around. This is what around. he does. It, yes, it's binding. Like it's LOL, awesome. LOL in our house is not laugh out loud. It's leg of love. Right. Okay. And, and or the, so the cocoon of love. The cocoon. Call, but like she, she hates. She's like, get off of me. Well, I just what get she'll do, hot. she'll for a few seconds, she'll. She'll, she'll just be like, okay. I'll but, fill your but then tank. she has this sign language that I understand what her sign language means. And she'll give me two pats. And I know that those two pats mean get off. Get, get off. off. <laughs> I love you, but get off. Right, yes. right. Yes. Because, you know, for us non-cuddlers, to explain it to the cuddlers, like, sometimes it just gets hot and it's binding, right? We feel bound. Do you feel bound, non-cuddlers? Right. And it's like, it's not that you don't love your spouse. I'm a very affectionate person. I just, I just can't cuddle like for very long. And so I just, he had I, to learn this about me. I had to be honest. And I've had to like beg. I'll say, listen, I will give you all the sex you want, but you have to hold me. And I tell her that. <laughs> this is not how it goes. That's not exactly how it goes. <laughs> so. I think we also. I've, I've got quirks too. Like, like, so I cannot stand the sound of people crunching oh, no. loudly near me. Like if you have crunched anything near me. I have fantasized about your death and I apologize. I repent. So like I, I have this thing and she loves to crunch. Like everything she likes is crunchy. She crunches when she's thirsty. She doesn't drink water. She crunches ice. Right. So it's amazing. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And it's, it makes no sense at all, but you know, (laughs) whatever your thing is. So like early in our marriage, I would just leave like, cause I didn't want to admit how annoyed I was because I'm like, you've got to be able to eat in your own house, right? But I can't be here. So like, I would just, You'd be in the other room. we'd just be mid-conversation, she'd start crunching, I'd just be like, she's like, where's he going? And so finally I had to say, listen, I'm a weirdo, it's not you, but I, I can't stand the sound of crunching. So I'm just going to slip in these earbuds or I'm going to go do something else yeah. for the sake of my sanity and our marriage. And yes. she laughed and she was like, okay, that's, that's, that's great, that's cool. And so now... You know, we'll, it's when it's crunch time, I'll just go and it's cool. And I will come back and it's fine. Or I'll go in the other room and be like, I'm going to go crunch some ice. Like literally I say, and the kids know, like mom's going to crunch some ice. Because if the family's watching a movie and I'm really thirsty, I'll get my water with my huge cup of ice. And Dave also, you hate the sound of when I've already finished crunching and you're like, oh, it's safe now. And then I go back to the kitchen and it's like the ice machine again, right? Oh. He just, he's like, no. It's like you I'm know. being waterboarded. It's like, all right, I'll tell you whatever you want to know. Just, just do it. Stop the torture. All right, before we finish up, I also want to say that I think we really have to get very honest about our backgrounds because we may have a lot of similarities with our spouse, but we, we came from two different homes, right? And, and we, you know, sometimes we realize what those differences are, but sometimes we don't, <laughs> right, sweetie? Yeah, yeah. So um, we came from very different backgrounds as it relates to affection, in marriage and whatever Displays. you came from at home is like what you just think is normal. Even like whatever you grew up in, even if you recognize that, oh, well, that, well, that mom and dad that did that and that was weird. But to you, it's still on a subconscious level feels normal. You're like, well, that's just what people do because my parents did it and that's normal. So like Ashley's parents were, they're wonderful people, love each other, but they never showed affection to each other. Right. They just didn't. Like, I have no idea how she was conceived. Like, it's a mystery. Because they just, they don't really touch. They don't. They don't and, hold hands. Like, right. I've not really seen them kiss. But, like, it's just not an affectionate type of relationship. And so my outwardly. parents are the opposite, right? They were, like, all over each other. I was growing up, and it was, like, 50 shades of middle age. Like, they were just, <laughs> they were very affectionate. Very. And I thought that was normal. It was 
gross but normal. It's like what mom and dad do. Oh, mom and dad are making out. That's fun. And <laughs> so when we, Ashley and I start dating, I quickly realize, having like met her parents, like, oh, it's different at her house. And she hasn't met my parents yet. And so we're, she's going to meet my parents for the first time. And I'm like, listen, mom and dad, look, please don't be weird. Like, I, I, I really like this girl. I think I, I, I want to marry this girl. But, you know, she's not used to you. Like, she, you guys are great. And I love that you're great and you're awesome and affectionate. But, you know, she's not as used to that. And so maybe we'll just, like, ease her into how much you love each other. You know, I, I don't Dial know. Dial it back. Just yeah, yeah. Just don't like make out at the restaurant. Don't spank each other. Like I'm like listening out like, like they're teenagers going on a date. You don't touch from here to here. You don't do this. And, and my mom, sweetest woman, she's like, David, she calls me David, sweetie, I would never do anything to embarrass you. And I'm like, but you have mom, like you say that. And I know you mean it, but you have. And so just please, just this one day, nothing weird. She's like, oh, sweetie, nothing is going to, it's going to be so fun. And so we go out, we go to church. Church was great. First date with parents, church, it's safe. It's great, you know? But then we went to lunch and lunch is where my life started to unravel. So this really happened. I'm making up no part of this story. So mom, who's very touchy, like She's like one of those little monkeys that like picks stuff out of your hair and eats. Like she's just really, she's just always doing this. She's affectionate, yeah. Oh, what, is, what material is this? Oh, your hair is so nice and oh, your skin and all of this. And then it's like she's, and so that's what she's doing to Ashley, right? Which is weird, but I'm like, okay, I can live with that. So she's like, oh, you're so, you're so pretty. And you're so, oh, you're so, what is this? I love this shirt. I love your hair. And then she's like, let's sit down and get to know each other. And then they sit down and then mom immediately springs back up and she grabs her hip and she says out loud, oh, oh, my bottom is sore. And I'm like, why would you say that? What? Like, but I couldn't get any words out because I couldn't believe it was happening. And, and then she, she looks at Ashley because mom doesn't have any secrets. She's just like an open book. She's like, you're probably wondering why my bottom is sore. And I'm thinking, no, no we're not. No one. At all. And who says bottom? Like, why? What? Just. Like, don't use that word. But I couldn't get any words to come out because I was frozen in fear. Maybe just, maybe just the tiniest bit curious to what the story was going to be. And, and so she launches into this story in the restaurant. She goes, well, this is what happened. So I was getting ready for church this morning. And David's father, he's so silly. You're silly. Naughty. He was, and I promise she used this word. Tantalizing, tantalizing me. What does that mean? Like, I've been to therapy wondering what that could mean. Like, that's not even the story, though. That's just a word that has haunted my dreams ever since. And so she goes, and, and then I was getting ready. And she had just gotten out of the I shower. I just gotten out of the shower. Yeah. And David's father, he, he jumped out to scare me. He's so silly. And he starts, <laughs> this is my parents. This is real. He starts chasing me around the room, trying to spank me with my curling iron. And I said, Brad, it's hot. It's hot. And he thought I meant it's hot like it's exciting. But I meant it's hot like I had it plugged in. I was going to use it for church. And he spanked me on the bare bottom with my curling iron. It really, really hurt. And I've been sore all morning. And then she just, like, nothing had ever happened. Said, so what are you going to have for lunch? Yeah. And it was just like, right along. and I'm like, that's it. 
Ashley's breaking up with me. It's not happening. And her eyes, Ashley's eyes were so big. She, I don't think she ate. She just was like, what am I getting myself into? Who is this family? Like, what is happening? But, yeah. you know, you still married me. Yes. And my parents are still doing that stuff. Yes. Like, they're still, like... Well, when we got, when we first started, we were wanted to share this story. I was like, we probably should check with them. You know, it's, it's their story after all. And we went to them and Karen, his mother, very, I mean, she was so funny. She said, I vaguely remember that. But to be honest, there are so many stories like that. I mean, just go ahead and tell it. This is just no. how we are. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is how it is. So yeah. we came from very different backgrounds. Very different. So like we, we go to, to honeymoon and... Like, very different expectations. I, I had packed curling irons, some cool whips, some handcuffs. I didn't know what I was going to need. But, like, Ashley had a very different set of expectations, right? Like, so we just had very different expectations. Yes, yes. And you got you to talk about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's not just a one-time conversation, but it's really like a lifelong conversation. Is your, your bodies are changing. Your, your insecurities are changing. Your health situations are changing. Like, I mean, all of those things. You've got to just, marriage, the marriage has to be the safest place on earth for you to talk about anything. Not just, you know, things related to sex, even though you should talk about those things in a normal way. Uh, it's a normal part of your marriage. It's a gift from God. So receive it as a gift. God made sex. Satan doesn't own it. It's God's and it's for you in marriage and embrace that beautiful gift and, and yes, you yes. can clap for that. God made that. sex. It's all good. This Thanksgiving, when your grandma says, what are you thankful for this year? I want you to say, I'm oh, thankful for sex, grandma. God made it. And it's awesome. Pass the turkey. Praise the Lord. And praise the Lord. It is a, it yes. is a gift. But, you know, you've got to be able to talk about it. And there, there are times where there are issues in that area. And you've got to be able to talk about those issues. In different seasons of life, you're going to have different different issues and um, being honest you got to be honest yes. you got to you got to you got to be honest and I hope, I hope like mom and dad I tease him to death but but they're also they're my heroes too you know yeah. it's like that is awesome they're going to be like chasing each other in wheelchairs with the curling iron one day yes not too far from now because dad just keeping it spicy yeah 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 so it, it's keeping it spicy all right, That's right. one one last one Friends don't give up on each other. You can't give up on each other because that's what love is. It's commitment. And forgiveness is going to be a key in not giving up on each other. Because you, you could keep a record of wrongs because your spouse is going to do things that are wrong and you will too. But the Bible says love keeps no record of wrongs. That doesn't mean that you don't deal with sin and you don't bring stuff out in the open and deal with it. It means that you're not keeping this score sheet where you're making them pay or you're punishing them. or you're, you, you, you don't, that's, that's, that's toxic to a relationship. Again, Proverbs says it this way. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. So the closest of friends are spouses. If you want to separate yourself from your spouse, dwell on the past faults. Dwell on them, bring them up, use them as ammo. That is going to separate you. But if you want to have grace, it's going to bring you together. And so here's, here's a, a little principle we try to live by. You know, the golden rule, do unto others in marriage, we think about it this way. Don't treat your spouse the way your spouse treats you. Treat your spouse the way God treats you. And how does God treat you? He gives us his best when we're at our worst. He forgives us when we've failed. He pursues us when we're completely unlovable. And then he goes, now, I want you to love each other that way. And he's the one who gives us the grace to do it. 
He is. And you know, again, your marriage is going to go through all kinds of different seasons, but when we always come back to surrendering to the Lord, whatever it is we're facing and knowing that he's not just absent, you know, that God is right there in, in it with us. He's not surprised by anything we're dealing with. And honestly, there's nothing that can come our way that we cannot walk through with his help. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean the process of healing is going to be fast. More than likely, it's going to be pretty slow and it's going to be little steps. But I think when we just choose to fight for each other and not against each other, when we get to the other side, we have a perspective and a depth of love and intimacy that we couldn't have experienced any other way. And so, you know, when we always go back to looking for the good, for treating our spouse the way that God treats us and being ones who forgive quickly and then allow each other to rebuild that trust, we're, there's nothing we can't face together. And, and so if, if everybody could stand to close, I thought we could just pray together. And there might be something afterwards with the, the pastors or more afterwards. Yeah. No, we're good. Okay. Well, okay. Oh, before we pray, I want to show you one, one, quick, one quick image, like super quick story. Because I think that if you were here tonight and you're looking for kind of a message, like, God, I'm in a tough season. I'm in a yes. tough spot. What do you want me to do in my marriage, in my life, my work, whatever situation is tough. We were walking through a really, really tough season years ago. I prayed that prayer. God, I feel like my prayers aren't being answered. Where are you? If you would just show me what to do, I'll do it. And I'm convinced God sent me a text message. Now he sent us all a text message called the Bible. But in that moment, God, in his sense of humor, let me step on a sticker that my kids had left on the floor. And I plopped down on the couch after saying, God, if you'll just show me what to do, I'll do it. And I peeled a sticker off my foot and Ashley goes, you won't believe what's on that sticker. And that's, that's the picture it of it. It said, keep going. And I wrote that date on it, put it in the front of the Bible. And I've looked at it often because that's a message of scripture to, to persevere, to keep going and to trust the Lord, knowing that he is with you every step of the way. And if you're here tonight and you're in a season of struggle in your marriage or in any part of your life, that's a message for you. The Lord's saying, keep going. I'm with you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. And we're going to get through this together. Keep going. Guys, thank you so, so much. We're going to pray for you. Yes, thank you for your, kind, you so your kindness. Um, hope to be back soon. After the curling iron story, we, we might not be invited back. But, but <laughs> we've, we've, loved, we've loved being here. A hand for your pastors, guys. Yes. These are... And your whole Tim team. and Rhonda, your whole, your team. whole team. This church yes. is a gift. You have got an amazing, amazing church, amazing leaders. And uh, it has been a gift the way that you've just welcomed us as part of the family this weekend. And we just pray God's continued blessings on, on you. But sweetie, as we close out, would you just pray a prayer of blessing over this amazing congregation? Absolutely. And if your spouse is here with you, please join hands with your spouse. Lord, thank you so much for each and every person in this room, Lord. I know that none of us are here by accident. I thank you so much that you, this church is willing to invest in families in the way that they have this whole entire day, Lord. I think that is such a blessing. And I just thank you that, that they've, the people in this room have taken the time out of their busy schedules to learn more about you and about how they can have better relationships, not only with you, Lord, but also with each other. And I want to pray specifically for marriages that are going through a hard time right now, Lord. I pray that they are 
remember what that sticker said to us so long ago and they take that on, but they just remember to keep going, keep doing the next right thing that is moving towards God and not away from God, that is moving you towards your spouse and not away from your spouse. And to know that their best days are not behind them, they are ahead of them, that Lord, the Lord has new things for them, a new season, things that they never, ever thought they could experience together. Good things, Lord. Good, 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 good thing that the Lord just wants them to experience so badly if they would just hold on, if they would just get the help that they need, Lord. And I just pray that today is the last day that they hang their heads low and think that God is finished with them because he is not finished. He is still bringing dead things back to life. And that includes dead marriages. That includes dead relationships. That includes things that look like there's no hope, Lord. I just pray that people walk out of here with their heads high, knowing that God has something new for them and that he is with them through this, Lord. I pray for all the kids in this room, Lord. I love it that kids are present, Lord. I just pray a special blessing over their life and every person in this room, Lord. I know that you're teaching them something different. Each of us has something different. And sometimes when we have uh, conference style gatherings like this, it can feel overwhelming, like we're taking uh, a sip of water from a fire hydrant. And I just pray, Lord, that you calm the overwhelm and that you let us each think of one or two things that we can do differently, Lord, and to start trying to do those one or two things differently and then maybe adding to it. Because we know that change is a process. We know that there are no perfect people in this room and perfection isn't even the goal, but progress is. And you are a Lord that helps us to experience progress and you are with us through it, Lord. We just love you and we praise you, Lord. Thank you so much for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, thank you guys. Thank you. I believe.